So 2020 happened. Things went a bit nuts, but we thought it would be temporary. Just a glitch. Then 2021 happened. It wasn't temporary. Workload ballooned, teams exploded, and that little tight-knit group that was your team is now suddenly not so little. Or maybe you need to practice ownership. Either way, now you have all these people who you are responsible for, and you feel that responsibility, and it keeps you up at night, and you want to do a good job, but there's just so much to do, and the sick animals just keep coming in. But you do want to work on wellness, and you want some wellness for yourself, but you feel like you need to be there to support the team, but when was the last time that you went to the gym? And the problems just keep coming, and the sick pets just keep coming, and yeah, I feel you. Two other people who feel you are Dr. Marie Holowichak and Josh Weissman. And they have some solutions for us. Josh is, well, let me introduce himself. So my, my name is Josh Weissman. I uh, am the founder and lead positive change agent at Flourish Veterinary Consulting. My background, I've been in vet med for roughly 25 years. And I like to joke, I've done kind of every role in the veterinary practice except be a full veterinarian. Because I was once the right hand for one who broke her wrist for a couple months. So I got to be her right hand for a couple of months. Uh, I've done just about every role in the practice from being a technician assistant to practice manager to owning a couple small animal hospitals here in the States. And Marie? Here's Marie. So I grew up in the vet profession, so to speak. Both my parents are veterinarians. And um, after I graduated, I did advanced training. I did an internship in small animal emergency and critical care and then a residency in emergency and critical care. So this conference is near and dear to my heart because it's my specialty conference. And for the last 10 years, I've pivoted into mental health and wellness. So a lot of advocacy, a lot of education, inspiring individuals, leaders, and teams to really make sure that we're prioritizing and fostering our well-being. I caught up with him last year at the VEX booth on the chairs that looked like polar bears at IVEX 2023 in Denver to talk to them about a session that they'd hosted. Joining me on the couch as co-host was Dr. Ellie Lester, who is a friend and a colleague and also an emergency and critical care specialist and a director at Pet ICU, which is part of the group of hospitals that I work for, Animal Emergency Australia. Ellie joined me as a team leader who is working to overcome many of these challenges that I mentioned at the start. For this session, I put my practice owner hat back on from my days as a clinic owner, when I very much experienced that lying awake at night, worrying about stuff, because, you know, people. Now, before we chat to Josh and Marie, I just wanted to let you know that I will be back in the U.S. at IVEX again in 2024 and back on my couch interviewing some of these stellar speakers to get to the bits of gold from their talks, both clinical and non-clinical topics like this one. I have a plethora of amazing clinical content that I recorded at IVEX 2023 that we've been releasing over on the clinical podcasts, which in case you didn't know, you won't find on your podcast player until you've subscribed to it at vvn.supercast.com. And then it gets transported or exported or magicked somehow into your podcast player of choice. We've already released some spectacular content from IVEX, including a chat with the legendary Professor Karen Tobias talking about traumatic wounds. A talk about why IV fluids makes no sense for those NSAID overdoses, new pancreatitis treatments, ultrasound stuff, toxins, decontamination, just so much stuff. Go and check it out at vvn.supercast.com. Your first two weeks are free. Also, if you don't even know what IVEX and VEX are, VEX is the Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Society, which, as the name suggests, is a society for people who geek out on all things ECC. VEX membership gives you access to the Journal of Emergency and Critical Care, 
tons of educational content, free or discounted access to other resources like the Headway Meditation app, as well as heavily discounted tickets to IVEX, which is their giant ECC conference. So you can come and join me on the couch in St. Louis on, I think, the 6th to 11th of September, 2024. I do have a Vetfeld discount code for VEX memberships, and it's a real discount, not one of those that you'll get 10% off if you use code Uber as a knob at checkout, but actually everyone gets the 10% off anyway. This one will give you 35% off your online VEX membership fees if you sign up before May at VEX.org. That's V-E-C-C-S dot org. Here's your code. Vetvalt 2023. That's capital V-E-T, capital V-A-U-L-T, 2023. I'll put that in the show description for you. Okay, back to the interview. This one really is for the team leaders. Here's a little teaser. I, I think so much of the challenge of leadership is the scalability of relationship. Because that's what leadership is. It's a relationship. The first pillar is to make your personal well-being a priority first. Managers who embody well-being give permission to their team to do that. And if the culture, intentionally or unintentionally, is driving somebody against well-being, then we're asking them to become salmon. And veterinary professionals are not salmon. They're human beings. They can't swim up against that current forever. Join us for this conversation about one of Marie and Josh's sessions called the four pillars of energetic leadership, which I somehow got in my head as the four P's of leadership. So I spent the night before the interview trying to come up with four P's for veterinary leadership. My best effort based on some of my personal veterinary leadership experience was procrastination, pleading, pizza, and pina coladas. So I was a bit disappointed that none of these made the cut for Josh and Marie, not even buying pizza for the team when everything is going to shit on a crazy busy shift. This conversation is full of the things that you need to hear for the sake of your team. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to the Vetfeld at IVEX 2023. So Ellie's here not as her, because she's an ECC specialist as well, but she's also a business owner and one of the directors of a big company. So when we talk about creating a culture of wellness, that's the struggles you have with your everyday life, right? Yeah. It's easy to keep animals alive. Keeping a team happy in a yeah. veterinary business, it's a whole different ballgame. It's definitely, it's, it's almost more important than the clinical level of skill is actually having that, that team and having that place where people feel like they belong. Like, yeah, I really enjoyed your lectures yesterday. Yeah, Thank you. Really good. And, and I did also run a team for a little while. I had my own little event business for a while. And again, that, that's, that's the hardest bit. So both of you go into veterinary businesses as a as an outside perspective is it usually somebody who would get in touch with you in your business and say look we have problems come and help us fix it is that what it looks like so i would say the the folks that come to flourish in particular it's probably 80 20 80 percent or so are they're, they're coming because they're struggling and they, they just don't know how to overcome the challenges or the barriers that they have in their way but actually there's there's quite a surprising amount in really um, energizing amount of, of folks who are actually already doing a pretty good job right. at it and they just want to continue to get better, which I think probably speaks to a bit of the ethos of the veterinary mind or the veterinary spirit, if you think. If you imagine, you know, we go through all this training to develop all of these skills and this level of education and knowledge, and then we continue our education. And I think a lot of, a lot of folks in leadership are, are viewing it the same way. And then you think about the many, 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 many practices who don't look for help and the poor staff members bear the brunt of that. The, 
Yes, it's it's <laughs> that's probably the most troubling for me is the ones that could use the help but don't know or don't care or just aren't seeking it. Before we kind of kick into some of the summaries that we've you've had in the last few days, I'd really love to know your perspectives of the most challenging aspects of veterinary medicine post this last few years of COVID mm. and what's settled out now compared to probably what we were facing a few years ago. Yeah, I tend to work more with individuals. So I work with individual team members. I work with practice owners on an individual basis. And then I also work with veterinary business owners who are coaches, consultants, and own other businesses in the veterinary space. And everyone is facing their own unique challenges. Um, I would say within the team space, on the part of the individual team members, many have found themselves in a state of chronic or habitual burnout. Like they've been slogging it, they're still doing it, and they've been doing it since March of 2020, and they're feeling exhausted. And they're working in practices that are chronically understaffed because of our staffing shortages. And so they're just looking for ways to continue to do the work that they love and to stay afloat. Then we have the leaders who are in a position of leading these teams that are short-staffed, that are burnt out, that are feeling disenchanted. Wages have gone up in a lot of situations, and they're having to balance that with, you know, taking care of everyone and giving everyone the time and space that they need to look after themselves. So taking care of them. And then business owners, I mean, the beautiful thing that COVID has done for all of us is created a push towards innovation, right? So we have a lot of new businesses that have come out of COVID, like telehealth and telemedicine and all these things. And so supporting those business owners in growing their businesses and not burning out and, you know, hurting themselves in the process. So it's, I'm excited. I feel like we're at or past a tipping point in the profession and people really, really want to shift towards better places. And it's just about finding the ways to get us there. And it's also created a a push for the leadership, I I find. Whereas for most of my career, it was like, well, this is what it's like, buddy. If you don't like it, find somebody else. Yeah. And and now it's like, oh shit, I can't necessarily find, I need to make this a business that can take care of the team Mm -hmm. and provide a culture of wellness and make it financially successful, which is bloody hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not easy, but it's, as you say, it's a push. And I feel like the people who are gonna be standing at the end of all of this will be much better workplaces. They're gonna have to be. So I'm optimistic yeah. too, but I'm glad I'm not necessarily needing a big <laughs> business at the moment. <laughs> yeah, your, your comment on innovation, because that's what's inspired me and that's what I've, I'm so, that's come out of it. Yeah, there's so, there will be so many more years ahead because of the need to push for finding efficiencies that bring the team relief. There's so many better ways to do things than what the veterinary profession were doing. And on the back of the human healthcare, they've got a lot of stuff that they've, you know, they've figured out ahead of us or they've got new platforms. There's a few really, really exciting things that can really help our profession that I, that's what's really inspired me. So from you, Josh, what, what are you seeing as the, and I don't know if the, the perspective is different between Canada and Australia and America, but challenges. Let's say you walk into one of those businesses that say, we need help. And what are the things you see, first of all, that, that's where do you start with the help? What's the biggest need? Yeah, uh, Hugh, you said something that really stood out to me. You said that there was historically some of the experience that you had was that, hey, this is the way it is. And if, if it's not for you, then it's not for you and you should go find something else. And that is shifting. I think there's been this sort of crystallization. You know, I think, my wife and I play indoor soccer together and sometimes you get into a game and you're running and you're chasing and you're doing all the things and you don't really realize how much effort you fully put in 
until about a half hour after the game is over and then the exhaustion sets yeah. in, right? I, I feel like that's kind of what's happened in the American veterinary community is that COVID came and everybody just got into, we gotta get through this mode. And they, they stepped up. Everybody really did step up and gave their all and became a really meaningful service to the community, which was wonderful. And then that kind of ended, if you will, and I put that in air quotes, uh, and, and then there was this sort of collective breath and then this realization of what we've all been through and how this is really just an acute experience of what we've been through the entire time. And this realization, if you will, that we, we don't really need to tolerate this anymore. And so leadership, I think, has shifted to what you said, an awareness that we actually have to be considering the kind of environment that we're creating for our people. Because if we don't have people, we don't have veterinary medicine. And it's really nice to see that. I have a colleague who, who often says, uh, the what and the why of leadership is not up for debate anymore. We know what leadership is supposed to be, and we know what workplaces are supposed to be so that the human beings in it can actually get the work done. It's the how that we're catching up at. And I think veterinary medicine is realizing that, okay, we need to do this, but no one's ever shown us how, and we need to learn how. Mm. Okay, and is that what the session was about this morning, is, is the how? Yes, so, so, a, lot, a lot of the how. So I'm going to ask a long question. How? <laughs> <laughs> and after that, we'll do climate change. Right. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Solving all the world's Solve problems global today. global warming while we're at it. <laughs> but seriously, maybe one or two key takeaways. Yeah, I forgot my microphone. That's great <laughs> podcasting. Uh, one or two key takeaways, uh, what you'd like leadership teams. Because, yeah, again, your session, it's for the leaders, right? It's not for the, for the yes, employers yet. So what would you like to, to take away or at least learn more about? Yeah, so we, we came together and, and put together what we consider four pillars of a team that fosters a culture of well-being, starting with leadership, focusing on leadership. And the first pillar is to make your personal well-being a priority first, right? To embody that personal well-being, talking about the fact that there's research out there that demonstrates leaders who embody well-being, have teams that are more likely to do the same. Managers who embody well-being give permission to their team to do that. So if you go out on your lunch hour to go for a walk or go for a run and you come back, you're, you're giving your team members permission to do that. If you leave on time, you're giving permission to your team to leave on time, to take breaks, et cetera. And when you're taking care of yourself and embodying personal well-being, you are also showing up as a better leader for your team. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm not taking care of myself, my daughter can attest to this. I, I do not show up as a happy, engaged, yeah. patient individual, yeah. right? Is, so. is she like, Mom, have you done your yoga today? Because it doesn't look like it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Not in so many words, but pretty much. Yeah. So that was pillar number one. Pillar number two, Josh, you want to take that one on? Because that I'm, was I'm drawing a blank on the order of em them. Though. Empowerment. Oh, oh, can I yes. jump? Can I jump? Yeah. yeah just underline please. that. I think that's such a an important thing and it's and it it's so tempting for the leaders to say well i've got to show the way of you know i want to ease the load for the team so i'm going to work extra hard first one yes. in last one out yes it's interesting years ago at another conference there's some british research that did research on why vets leave the profession and one of the key key reasons is they look around and go at the culture and culture being that culture of i'm 60 years old and i'm still working seven days a week and and they go, yeah, that's not for me. Yeah. I don't want to be there when I'm 60. It's still working like that. So I'm out. I'm going to do something else. Yeah, there really is that 
you know, I'm going to take it for the team. I'm going to show them mm -hmm. working hard is the yeah. way to go, et cetera. Yeah. And it's just not, not serving the team in the end. And sometimes it comes from a, a genuine place of uh, really good intentions yeah. where, yeah. like what you were saying, Hugh, the, the person in the leadership role feels the need to take care of the yeah. team. And so they always want to be available and always want to show up. But then going back to what Marie was saying, if, if that's what you're embodying, that's also the message that you're sending to your team and you're unintentionally creating a cultural expectation yeah. that this is a place we're always available and we always show up, yeah. which just perpetuates that sort of martyrdom. It's self-sacrifice is the expectation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Second pillar. The second thing that we talked about was this idea of empowerment. Once you're embodying the kind of well-being culture that you want to see in the organization, you also have to empower the people who have less power and authority than you to be able to step into caring for their own well-being as well. So you have to create that environment that gives them some autonomy, some sense of meaningful control over how and when they take care of themselves, that there's choices, that there's options, that they have the freedom to actually pursue those things, that it's actually kind of an expectation. Yeah. We don't just give lip service to yeah. well-being. We actually expect you to take care of yourself. And we're going to follow up with that and encourage you to, to do that and cheer you on when you are and pull you aside when maybe you're not. Yeah, we have one of our key leaders in our leadership team, Jane Roberts. She's actually encouraged all of us. As soon as we're back from a holiday, we have to book the next holiday in. And ah. that's something. And she has, she's helped me probably more than I realize or she realizes in how she's actually that permission of being off, being off and having a holiday and it being okay. Because you do, you feel like, you know, you just got to try and hook in to help the team. Mm -hmm. But she's like, stop. And she, I really, I can't thank her enough. She has <laughs> helped throughout our whole team and throughout all of our staff really, really proactively encourages taking leave, good chunks, trying to help with the rostering. Mm. And it's made a huge difference. Ellie, I'm so deeply grateful that you have somebody like that in your life. Yeah, she, she literally, and she'll pull me up too when I'm going a bit off the rails. She's yeah. like, Ellie. You need a break. Uh, that like, accountability. We need to go yeah. and get on a race yeah. boat. Yes, I need a break. So, oh, that's okay. wonderful. Jeez. That's wonderful. So practically for leaders listening to this, uh, have you guys found good ways of that empowerment? Because it, it's hard. You can, you can take the horse to water. But how do you make it easier in, in practical ways? I, the business background that I have really always kind of pushes me to think of, you can't really manage what you're not measuring. You know, we think of these concepts of empowerment in a, a very ethereal and sort of fuzzy way. And I want us to make it more tangible. So let's measure it. Let's consider what are the elements of empowerment? What does that mean to us here? What are the things that we're doing, actually doing, the actions we take, the policies we have, the procedures? Do we have somebody that ensures that everybody's actually using their holiday time to, to take that time for themselves? And if we don't, why don't we, if that's something that's important to us? So actually measuring those things and then creating some sort of an action plan to ensure that that actually happens. And along the way, being careful and uh, considered about what are the unintended consequences of some of the norms and expectations that we have here so that we're just aware of that. It's really just taking the time. I think we leave a lot of this to chance, unfortunately. There's too many other things to do, the tangible draws and expectations, the little fires that we have to put out every day. I get that. Those are real things. And we should carve out time for the things that are important as well. And these are things that are important. I listened to a podcast recently and it was 
not in the veterinary space, but where a leader actually said to his employees, because they all, you know, he just felt they all worked too hard or, you know, everyone really committed and he gave them unlimited leave. He said, I don't want to monitor your leaves. You, you guys, you take as much leave as you it's want. It's a brave move. And you shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't do that with me. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, that is an amazing, empowering concept that he trusts his staff enough that they will work hard for him and being able to say un- his unlimited leave. Wow. Um, Anything to add there, Marie? I mean, there's so many different ways that you can bring your team members into the mix in terms of empowerment. So, you know, having conversations with them, not just about the work and the goals within the workplace, but what are you wanting to achieve in your personal life with regards to your mental health and wellness? Like, what does that look like for you? And cheerleading them along the way and making sure that they have the tools and strategies in place to be able to do that. Like Josh gave the great example this morning of someone who says, you know, I really want to get back into the gym. I really want to have a two to three day a week gym habit. And so if the practice owner or manager knows that and they can have those check-ins and say, hey, how have you been? Have you been to the gym? Well, no, because we had that case that came in at the end of my shift yesterday. And then today I've got this other case and da, 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 to say, well, hey, why don't we do some adjustments? We make some changes so that we can get you out of here today and to the gym, which is where you want to be and what we had talked about making happen for you. So just letting them know that there's openness to have these conversations. You know, we're human beings and as human beings, we have needs that extend outside of the workplace. And how can we integrate that? How can we empower our team members to prioritize that and know that it's okay and to lean on others for support when they're not able to make it happen? Challenges from you, Ellie. What do you guys struggle with in making it? Because these things are always great to talk about, but actually making, as you say, making the time for it. Yeah. And I know there'll be people listening to this going, yeah, it's great. I love the idea, but I, I don't can't even time. find, I don't have the, the staff. Mm. I can't make time in the schedule for this because mm. it's just too, we're understaffed. Which I don't know, are those excuses or what do you struggle with as a business? Yeah, I think the challenges for us during COVID was just such rapid, we had rapid growth like that. We had the most probably rapid growth out of all of our hospitals because they just seemed to that extra level of intensive care, the caseload. And our team is such a tight-knit team that cares so much. Like they, mm-hmm. That's why they're there and they're so good at their job. And everyone, you know, we, we pulled together in a way that I was, you know, you look back at it and you're just so proud of seeing how well we did on the whole get through it. And now we've got that slight kind of, catch up because we've employed more staff and now it's training and getting a greener team mm. up to speed as a bit with a bigger team and also probably the biggest challenge at the moment is that tipping point of becoming a larger team like we were previously a team you know kind of under 30 in an intensive care unit 24 mm-hmm. 7 rostering you know keeping that place ticking along mm. and now we're tipping over 40 mm-hmm. and just that tipping point mm-hmm. of protocols, policies, induction, training, making sure everyone's got a path and knowing where they are and role clarity. And that's where I think our struggle now is catching up on, on mm. that and catching up for the whole team and just refocusing on, on the actual team rather than that growth was, I think, the growth we just somehow coped. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, now it's just stopping and breathing again. And again, Jane, who years ago, she said, I'm going to get you to eight-hour vet shifts, vet rosters. And I almost, like, 
I almost <laughs> laughed. I was, almost, <laughs> I was like, R -r 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 no, but I'd back her because I believe in her. And we are so close. We've got to, oh, we're, for we're you. so close to, we've got um, our vet rosters kind of split now. So we've got two eight hour shifts and the third eight hour one to come in overnight. Whereas before we used to have wow. one vet for the day. Yeah. And if the day went a bit pear-shaped, it could turn into a 14, 15-hour totally. day. Yeah. There. And now we know you can the plan to line them up where the vet, the whole team comes on. Vet and nurse, you know, mm. nurse tech team. Uh, we come on and it's three eight-hour shifts in a 24-hour period. Yeah. And mm. you know you can always hand over. And so you can hopefully plan to go to the gym and plan to do something. The ultimate yeah. goal is to find that work-life balance for mm. a 24-7 team. That, yeah. So, yeah, what, what do you say to a to client who says... Yeah, great. I love it, Josh. <laughs> it's just very hard. I'm feeling discouraged. Yeah, it, it's a really wonderful question. Some of it really depends on what they value and what's important to them. That's going to tailor the message that gets sent to them. Some clients are uh, worried about money. They're worried about finances, and reasonably so. I mean, it's sometimes very tight margins that we're towing in a veterinary business. And so that is a legitimate concern. And so we'll have that conversation about, what the cost of not taking these initiatives might be and what the potential savings are or improvements and increase to productivity that could come as a result of that. Some people are just worried about holding it all together. And, you know, we talk about then what it would look like to actually delegate out and relieve yourself of all of that pressure because you have a team that's helping to hold it all together instead of just you. So it really depends a lot on it. But Ellie, you said something that really stood out to me. You said that one of the challenges that that you were facing or that you've been facing has been has come with growth the challenge of growth is a very real thing we have a client that we've been working with now for quite some time they started as an organization of less than 10 people and now they're pushing a hundred and it's still privately owned and they often talk about how you know sometimes i come to work and i walk through the halls and i see people and i don't know their name and i really miss that rubbing elbows thing what's it dunbar's number or what will they talk about whether, whether you've been Psyche, we've got the ability to connect with up to 150 people. Yes. So and, and beyond, yes. beyond that, so, it's too big for you. Exactly. And so, so that is the essential challenge. I, I think so much of the challenge of leadership is the scalability of relationship. Because that's what leadership is. It's a relationship. And if you have a high-quality relationship with somebody, you're going to be able to create that kind of environment where both you and they will succeed. You'll both thrive together. But that kind of a relationship, it takes a lot of intention, a lot of energy, and a lot of time. And you can do it with 10 or 15 people. Or maybe 20 or 25, depending on what level of leadership you're in or what your responsibilities are. But once you start getting to that 40 or that 50 or that 100, it cannot revolve around you solely. And so you have to find a way to scale yourself, if you will, or at least scale the responsibility of cultivating those relationships. Yeah. Are we at number three? The third mm. thing, yeah. Yeah, so the third pillar is creating a psychological health and safety in the workplace. So something that we never used to talk about, I feel like. It's even a concept that was new to me a few years ago and something we know is incredibly important and that goes beyond the ability for people to speak up without repercussions, to say if they made a mistake or to ask a question or even make a suggestion. That's kind of traditionally what people think about when they think about psychological safety. That's the work of Amy Cuddy, but it's more than that. And in Canada, I can speak to the National Standards for Psychological Health and Safety, which came out a few years ago, which are actually 13 different 
facets that create psychological health and safety. And they range from a workload that is reasonable, which in emergency and critical care is feels out of our control sometimes and is very challenging, to making sure that people are not being exposed to psychological harm on a regular basis. So we're not asking our team members to do things that they do not feel qualified to do, like talk an owner down who's having a serious mental health crisis or do a surgery that they've never done before because the owner can't afford to go to a different hospital or whatever it might be. Um, even the culture within the workplace in terms of having a culture of civility and respect so that nobody is worried they're going to show up to work and be attacked or bullied or psychologically harmed by someone else. So it really does come down to limiting psychological harm in the workplace. And like I say, a lot of that falls on the leadership. Some of that falls on the team and the way they treat each other. Again, that defaults to the leadership because we all need to be held accountable. And some of it is embedded within practice policies and in the infrastructure. So part of psychological health and safety is preventing physical harm. Mm -hmm. So do we have ergonomic workstations? Do we have lift tables? Do we have policies around handling fractious animals? Do we have policies in place for an unsafe client coming into the hospital? So it's a huge topic. It's one I'm quite passionate about. And I'm glad to know that it's one that we're speaking to in the veterinary context. Yeah. Do you get much resistance from certain leadership teams or, or owners? Uh, and I'll tell you why I say that, because behind closed doors on social media networks and stuff, where there's practice owners together, there's often a sort of a snide, sarcastic vibe of, oh, yeah, these snowflake new grads that need their hands held and need to protect their... Like, it's a little bit of cynicism. They do it because they know otherwise they will have no staff, but, <laughs> but they go, like, in my day... We weren't as soft as this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you get that or other people that yes. employ you? There? Yeah. yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, um, we all come from our own lens of experience. And, you know, yes, some of us trained 20 years ago when things were admittedly extraordinarily different. Like I look back to when I graduated from vet school and it's I, I can't even tell you how how different it is today. Right. And how different the workplace is today. And. I think if we continue to have this idea that, you know, team members these days are just overly sensitive or I feel like, you know, I can't say or do anything today because someone is going to take offense to it. Um, we want to really shift the language to recognizing that I think this stuff was always harmful. Nobody said anything about it. They just sort of grinned and bear it, bared it. And now we have the research to demonstrate mm -hmm. that Psychological harm in the workplace leads to a lot of absenteeism. It leads to a lot of, you know, calling in sick or avoiding tasks or avoiding people in the workplace. I mean, there's research to demonstrate that this has physical and mental health ramifications mm -hmm. for our workforce mm -hmm. and it has financial ramifications for the practices who are experiencing turnover, absenteeism, patient care mishaps because people aren't talking or people aren't showing up or whatever it might be. So I think there's enough case to show that oh, yeah, no, this I'm, is I'm important. Not with you. I'm, I'm just, not I'm trying to convince you. I'm just... Is it, a, is it a, <laughs> almost a lack of empathy or a lack of being able to understand? Because I'm a 45-year-old man and I don't face the challenges that my new graduate 22-year-old female vet faces or my tech who's 17 or something like that. So it's very... It, I'm not saying me personally, but... It can be hard to imagine this struggle because I go, I don't get it. I don't understand why you're so sensitive about stuff. But 
Hard to imagine, and then I think sometimes hard to accept responsibility Mm -hmm. and take ownership. Mm -hmm. Like, I do see leaders who are very resistant to that because it's almost as if they're admitting, I'm doing something wrong and I need to change. But it's like, but I've always done it this way. I've always said it this way, and now you're telling me I have to, like, not permit these sarcastic comments in the Mm -hmm. workplace? Like, Mm -hmm. that's just who I am. That's, That's how I behave. That's how I enact humor in the workplace. So recognizing that may be actually harmful to some of your team members. So I think there's a lot of personal, it feels almost like a personal attack or it induces shame or or something amongst leadership. And it's in there as well. For years now, it's something that's rung very true with me is saying the standard that I walk past is a standard I'm willing to accept. Mm. And so it makes me just go, hang on, no, you can't, you can't not have that conversation or not you know, turn a blind eye to something because it's it's not fair on the whole team. And the other one, which our leadership team we've started in this last kind of six months is slowly infiltrating is the above the line and below the line mm. kind of concept. Mm-hmm. And it's the leadership's team and management to hold the line and having the team kind of self-regulate and just have something you go, where do you think that sits above yeah. or below? And you know, it's, it is our responsibility to make sure that the line is held and yeah. something where there's still a lot of work to be done. It'll be constant. It'll never stop. But that's yeah. something that just simplifies. I find it's, you know, it's like quite that. a simple concept when you show them the three-minute YouTube of above yeah. the line and below the line mm-hmm. and you go, okay, where where do you where are you falling at the moment? And actually asking them, not, not telling them, oh, that's out of line. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yes, I love but, that. I'll be at number four. Yeah. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so number four is really about what, what it, we think of as cultural architecture uh, and taking the time to really recognize those unintended consequences of the norms and the values that we hold uh, so that we don't create these moments of dissonance among team members. Oftentimes we have all the very best intentions and we'll have standards or values that are important to us. You know, uh, we are a patient first practice. We, we are a hospital where we help each other teamwork, those kinds of things. Well, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it says on the wall. And, and we don't take the time to really truly define that and make it behavioral, make it measurable, make it tangible. And so the result of that is it come, it creates a life of its own. And sometimes, you know, there are unintended consequences. We, in today's workshop, uh, one table was talking about this idea of, you know, we help each other and in their practice, what they found in the past is that having this cultural norm, which is a wonderful norm to have, there's what a beautiful thing to imagine that we are a place where everybody supports each other. We help each other. Great. But if that's where the norm stops, then the unintended consequence that they discovered was that people never felt like they could say no. And so if I'm already busy and overwhelmed and you ask me for help, now I feel like I need to add your troubles to my pile. And that's problematic. That's not okay. So we have to be aware of what our norms are, what our expectations are where the mismatches might be happening, not because we're bad people, but because we just haven't really taken the time to consider this and restructure things, reframe them with intention, with policy, with procedure, so that instead of we help each other full stop, it becomes, what did they say? We help each other when it's possible, how it's possible. And as quickly as we can. And as quickly as it's, yeah, as as, as as reasonable. I like that. Because I've, I've literally looked at a practice as values once and I had that same thought. I was like, 
that's great. But to what extent? Mm -hmm. To what personal price? How far do you take it? Yes. So I like that you put a put a caveat to that. That's how you address it. Right. Be clear on it, right? Anything else to add? I mean, I think there's culture is just so much, right? Like it's this whole ethos of the practice, you know, the unspoken rules and everything else. And it kind of ties everything together. You know, the unspoken rule is if my leader, my manager is taking care of themselves, then I can do it too. And if I see someone being held accountable for their rude or uncivil behavior, then I know that I need to keep myself in check as well. So it just creates this I don't know how to put it into words, but it just creates these norms for behavior within the practice that just go beyond what the values on the wall say. It's like the flow of a very powerful river. Mm. That's what culture is. It, it's going to nudge us all in a particular direction. And if the culture intentionally or unintentionally is driving somebody against well-being, then we're asking them to become salmon. And veterinary professionals are not salmon. They're human beings. They can't swim up against that current forever we have to adjust the current to allow them to go in that direction mm -hmm. yeah. yeah another again it was another one-liner that i i heard on a podcast about culture is kind of the collective soup that we're all swimming in every day you know we're all contributing yes. to it mm -hmm. and that the values the core values are actually what can percolate to the top yeah and that's what we're all responsible for <laughs> and not this top-down, you know, oh, we're definitely, we've got to have this, we've got to be leaders and, you know, the top of the company's got to be embodied and having that culture from the top-down, but the bottom-up also mm. are actually more important than, you know, to sit back and kind of go, oh, well, then, you know, the, the culture here stinks or so-and-so's not got it sorted, and you're like, actually, hang on, it's us from the floor up mm. who've got to have that culture come through. Are you, are you familiar with Seth Godin, the marketer? Yeah, I love his definition of culture. It's very simple. It just says, culture is people like us do things like this. Yeah. What is your culture? Well, have a look. This mm. is what we do. This is who we are and this is how we do it. And yep. I heard something the other day, just a bit of a tangent, but when we talk about mm -hmm. the concept of neuroplasticity, mm -hmm. that neurologically you are shaped by your culture, 100%. not just behaviorally, yeah. Literally neurologically, your neural pathways will change. So culturally, obviously, that's why you have country cultural differences because we say in that same soup, it actually affects your brain. It adds a lot of responsibility to a leader. So you're literally yes. <laughs> shaping your team with brains. Yes. So is there anything else from the session or the talk of the session this morning? Because I think we will, let's stick with what we talk about now. Otherwise we'll be a forever. I'd love to get you guys back on actually on, on the official podcast. That'd be great. Anything for... Ivex that you'd like people to take away as so a leader listening to this in his standouts, but there was a lot in there, but if, is, am I missing anything else or are you happy with what we've covered? No, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the resounding themes that came up at the end in my mind was this notion of being clear is kind. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we, um, you know, we feel like telling someone what we need or being clear in how we want to hold people accountable or what we can or cannot do or don't feel comfortable doing we feel like, oh, you know, I just, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to do anything or that's just too upfront and direct. And I think just reminding ourselves that it's actually better that we just clearly have it out in the open. Talk about it. Talk about your challenges from a leadership perspective. Talk about your challenges as a team member mm -hmm. and then come together and figure it out because the alternative, which is not saying anything, showing up, becoming resentful, exhausted, burnt out, frustrated, 
it is just going to seep into the culture and it's going to inform how the team interacts with each other. So that comes from Brene Brown, that clear as kind. And that was a big, just in all the conversations mm -hmm. and the comments from the group yeah. this morning, that really came with me. Right? Mm -hmm. Very, very people pleasing, amiable yes. group of people. So yeah. uh, giving clear feedback, it's just, I find it stressful. So you'll often stew on it and stew on it, and then it becomes a little, the little things become a resentment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. Guys, thank you so, so much. Ellie, thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, thank, thank you for the work that you do. It's such important work. And thanks for sitting down, and I'd love to connect with you guys again. Happy thanks for having us. a great us. conversation. Awesome. Appreciate you. Thank you. Before you disappear, I wanted to tell you about our new weekly newsletter. I speak to so many interesting people and learn so many new things while making the podcasts. So I thought I'd create a little summary each week of the stuff that stood out for me. We call it the VetVault 321 and it consists of, firstly, three clinical pearls. These are three things that I've taken away from the clinical podcast episodes. My light bulb moments, the penny dropping, any new facts and the stuff that we need to know to make all the other pieces fit. Then, two other things. These could be quotes, links, movies, books, a podcast highlight, anything that I've come across outside of clinical vetting that I think you might find interesting. And then one thing to think about. I'll share something that I'm pondering, usually based on something that I've read or heard, but sometimes it'll be just my own musings or rants. The goal of this format is that you can spend just two to three minutes on the clinical stuff and move right along if that's all that you're after. But if you're looking for content that is more nourishing than cat videos or doom scrolling, then our two other things should send you in the right direction. And then something extra for when you feel like a slightly longer read. If you'd like to get these in your inbox each week, then subscribe by following the newsletter link in the show description wherever you're listening to this. It's free, I think it's useful, it's fun, and it's easy to unsubscribe if it's not for you. Okay, we'll see you next time.